Our scripture passage is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Then uh, the adage, choices have consequences, is uh, pretty straightforward. Now, when we are weighing a decision, we should consider its impact and consequences. Uh, even small decisions uh, may have widespread uh, ramifications. Uh, spiritually speaking, this is true as well. Uh, a recent book I read uh, talked about uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Her willing choice to be the virgin uh, mother of Jesus led to many blessings, but also to deep difficulties. Uh, let me read this excerpt. Uh, so when the time came for Mary to give her life for God, she gave her whole life to him, holding nothing in reserve. When she said yes to the virgin birth, she also meant yes to the stable in Bethlehem, yes to the exile in Egypt, yes to, the, yes to losing the boy Jesus in Jerusalem, yes to people hating her son and thinking he was crazy, even yes to the crucifixion, the burial, and the grave. The book also cited uh, Ruth's consequential choice uh, to follow Naomi back to Israel, even though Naomi released her to remain in Moab and remarry. Ruth played a pivotal role in helping Naomi rediscover her joy in God and also became uh, an ancestress of King David and therefore Jesus. Without her, God's redemption plan uh, could not have proceeded as it did. Uh, I titled today's message, from Ephesians 1, yeah, simply a consequential choice, a consequential choice. Uh, to actually focus on what it says in verse 4, that's going to be our kind of, we're going to stay on this first, we're going to unpack it for each, uh, let's read it together, since it's going to be the main focus today, okay, count of three, one, two, three, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, yeah. God made a huge choice and took a big risk when he chose us. And it set into motion uh, so many things, all of them to our benefit. Uh, this divine decision was the springboard, uh, if you will, um, of many consequences that direct our paths and lead us to God's ultimate uh, purposes. Therefore, I want to, like I said, break down this verse uh, by its words or phrases to help us uh, more deeply appreciate what God has uh, done for us. So I ask that we'll be highlighted. Let's begin then with the verse, with the phrase, He chose us. He chose us. Uh, simply put, uh, it all started with a choice, right? a choice made by God. Uh, take a moment to let that sink in a little. Of all the infinite things uh, that the divine mind could contemplate or draw conclusions 
about? God made a conscious decision, a choice, the choice of you and me, and that for himself. This choice was not compelled or cajoled or even necessary. It was a completely free and independent choice made by God because of his um, purposes, because of his plan, and because of his love. Accordingly, our selection to be God's children had nothing to do with our deservedness or contribution. That was not taken into consideration at all. It revolved around one thing, one thing alone, God's sovereign will. He chose us. To me, the fact that it was a sovereign choice has implications regarding many things. So let's start with how we view ourselves. Now, regardless of how we think of ourselves as, let's say, good or bad, upright or iniquitous, capable, incompetent, worthwhile, wasteful, whatever dichotomous pairing there might be, God decided on his own on his own, that we would belong to him, no matter what. God's sovereignty uh, means that no mistake has been made. So this is irrespective of our own subjective evaluations, right? to the contrary, or whatever we assess. Um, we may think that uh, yeah, things are amiss, or we are wrong for a situation or that we've messed up uh, just too many times. But the fact that God chose us in him means that in an ultimate sense, he knows what is going on, he knows what he is doing, he is in control. You know, the elemental doctrine of theology proper is that God does not commit errors. We may feel like God... Uh, God, we may feel that like God didn't get it right with you or me. Right? We might be finding ourselves in a rough patch. Our service to God might feel like it's going through starts and fits. But with respect, with respect to whether we think God knew what he was doing when he chose us, all that, all those uncertainties, all that ambiguity, that's immaterial. Uh, this passage assures us that God did indeed choose us and that we just have to live with or live in that reality. Uh, in practical terms, then, uh, the fact that God did the choosing, I think it removes the burden that we might typ typically try to shoulder. So it's not a performative or conditional situation. God chose us in the, uh, unconditionally forever. God will not unchoose us. It's a done deal. And so if we don't feel very chosen, yeah, I think it, it behooves us. It's good to try to figure out why we don't feel that way. But we have to align ourselves with what Scripture teaches. The fact of the matter does not change. It's objective in that sense. God chose us. And I'm kind of glad, personally, that God took the choosing out of our hands. Uh, otherwise, I think I'd always, we'd always be, 
either overestimating or underestimating ourselves. Am I worthy enough? Have I disqualified myself? How do I compare with others? Surely I'm better than that guy. Why aren't things better? Uh, why aren't better things happening uh, to me? Like, let's say that you were in God's shoes, right? Would you choose yourself? I think for me, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> On some days, I think, yes, I would choose myself. That's, that sounds right. On other days, heck no. I'd be the last person uh, that should be uh, selected. But by independently selecting us, we don't ever need to wonder whether we belong or even why God would regard us in this fashion at all. Rather, we can be um, attend to being more faithful, right? We're chosen to be holy and blameless. We can focus on being faithful. We can focus on being holier so as to bring God's choice to fruition. We don't have to question the starting point. We don't have to question, we don't have to doubt the origin. Now, our task is not to make the choice, but to live out the choice that God made of us. Uh, Mona and I were talking uh, about kind of uh, when we're, the, the youth books, we're thinking about what books would be good for our precious youth. And one of the classics is, of course, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. I think every year one of our special students gets that because it's just an amazing book, amazing testimony of how uh, Corey Ten Boom and her family, um, they made a choice. They made a choice to protect uh, the persecuted Jews uh, during World War II. They hid them. They avoided turning them in, and, and they got caught. They got sent to prison. And uh, I think Corey's sister died, and there was a lot of hardship, a lot of difficulties. And, you know, uh, it, it also led to some just amazing miracles, some stories, some testimonies, some forgiveness. That is just kind of, you see like that one decision to stand up against injustice and, and evil and to save one life for many lives, it led to, uh, it was so uh, consequential, right? It uh, changed her uh, so much. It changed others uh, so much as well. Yeah. And it wasn't because she owed people. It wasn't because uh, she, had, she felt some sort of, of determined determinism it was an obligation it was a free choice that she made and it really um, you know changed her life if you think about it that's what i think this uh, choice that god made of made of made of us uh, should do and certainly i think you would agree that uh, god chooses us by grace um, that much is for sure we know that none of us deserves to be chosen, but God does it anyway. But it's not only in the fact that he chose us, I think, when we were undeserving that we should uh, consider this. Uh, but I think it's also gracious of God that we don't ever have to wonder about being chosen. Right? It's completely in his hands. There's no need to doubt to ever question the starting point. We don't have to wonder if I really belong. So I'm free from these fundamental burdens 
and anxiety. And once that's secure, once that's you know no longer ever a question, I, I think the that leads to a lot of of um, joy. It leads to a lot of freedom. Uh, it, it has so many consequences to know that you're loved, to know that you belong, to know that you're chosen. That you don't ever have to wonder about that, no matter what happens, no matter what is occurring right now. And so hence Paul's response is to flow out effusive praise and glory to God. Actually in the Greek, uh, verses 3 to 14, right, the entire section, we only read a portion of it, it comprises one unusually long sentence, presenting one cascading description of God's work in Christ after another. Paul's breaking out in praise and doesn't know when or maybe even how to stop this crescendo of adoration. The tone Paul strikes is rich and worshipful. The language is exuberant. There appear recurrent phrases, a rhythm and exalted theology, making this doxology, as we say, one of the most impressive expressions of praise ever written. Right? Paul is chosen. We are chosen. And that's why he's able to do this. So let's move on to the next phrase to us to examine. It's, um, you know, for he chose us in him. Well, think about that, that phrase, in him. God chose us in him, or more, more particularly in Christ. We're not chosen for some ephemeral or arbitrary or disconnected reason. God did not choose us just to leave us dangling or twisting in the wind. We're chosen to be in Christ. Right? There is a direction. There is, uh, I'm going to talk about a location, quote unquote, uh, of, of what, what this chosenness does, uh, leads to, right? And it's in Christ. The expressions in Christ or in him uh, appear often in the Pauline corpus. Uh, the notion of being in Christ was very important to Paul. Every element in Paul's teaching flows from his understanding about our union with Christ. All the privileges of life um, are found in Christ. Every blessed, spiritual blessing, uh, Allah verse 3, flows from that fount. Um, Paul is saying that not only do we believe in Christ, but we are in Christ positionally. We are in him. He is in us. So this is where the believers are. This is the locus in which we find God's salvation and blessings and the framework in which we uh, live and act in him, in him. So it's not just this kind of divine from on high choice. It's a, a choice that narrows to something very specific, very precious, right? Uh, very special, and that is being in Christ. Right? It's salvation. The, the salvation metaphor that uh, correlates to this being in Christ is found in verse 5. Mentioned in verse 5. That's adoption. Right? Uh, in him correlates to adoption as sons and daughters of God. Adoption then, as it is now, was a, a legal transaction that occurred when a child formally became the part of another family that wasn't her biological one. The rights and responsibilities of being a real child of that new family are fully attached. Right? So it wasn't just that you got a new name and you got a new house, but everything legally, all the rights and responsibilities became ours. Right? That's what 
in Christ. So the full range or gamut of what Christ, Christ is, all the spiritual blessings, that's ours because of God's sovereign choice. Um, there's a story uh, back from the mid-1800s. A lot of immigration was happening through Ellis Island. And uh, as the families traveled, um, many of the parents died along the way, orphaning their kids. So when they ended up in New York, they had to fend for themselves, survive. And so they slept in alleys. They huddled together for warmth. They stole. They caught rats to eat, rummaged in garbage cans, etc. It was just a miserable existence. And the estimate was there were about 30,000 of them living this, living this tragic life until a 26-year-old minister, Christian minister named Charles Brace, he came up with the idea of an orphan train. Orphan train. So it was already the, the railways across transcontinental were being um, built. And so he gathered all these orphans and put them on trains headed west to new frontiers. And as they went, as the trains went through the towns, anybody who wanted to adopt a son or a daughter could do that. They could adopt these parentless children and give them a new home, right? mutually beneficial. So by 1929, lots of the lots of children had found a new home, and some of them got, you know, uh, not only did they um, live a, a longer life, a better life, a lot of them got educated, and some of them became governors, justices, uh, congressmen, right? Um, and if you think about it, like we who were dead in our sins and transgressions. We who had that kind of comparably miserable life without Christ, right? Uh, God reached down. Yeah, he chose us yeah, in him. He adopted us as um, children of God, right? Giving us all the privileges and the rights. Just as the adopted children on the orphan train, from the orphan trains, did not deserve, had no leverage. They were just passing through, right? It was the gracious act of the, of the new families. Right? God himself demonstrated this grace uh, for us. So adoption. Adoption illustrates this inness, in Christness. It shows how it plays out uh, relationally. We are adopted into the family of God. We are incorporated into the values, culture, and dynamics of our new family that belongs to Christ. We are part of Christ and part of each other. We're adopted into Christ and his people. Yeah. So by choosing us, God not only chose us, that act itself, but he chose what kind of relationship that he would have with us. Right? Think about it. Let's look at it a little hypothetically. Um, you know, God could have chosen us for any number of, of purposes, any number of relationships, like it could have just stayed cre creator to creature, right? God chose us to be his creation. And, and like an, he has that relationship with an animal or a plant, yeah, for example. Or God could have chosen us to be servants, right? Like his angels. The angels have that kind of Lord-servant relationship. The angels do the Lord's uh, bidding gloriously but they're still servants. That's their primary way in which they relate. But the particular relationship that God's gracious choice moved us toward right, was that of parent and child. 
you know, we all talk about the image of God. That we are made in the image of God. Just like we inherit genetic traits from our parents, uh, we inherit the image of God, right? Through it, he builds into us value, dignity, common heritage. And by doing so, right, uh, I think by choosing us to be in him, uh, God picked one of, if not the best and most amazing human experiences to find how he would relate to those he had chosen, right? <laughs> the choice was, pardon the pun, uh, choice one. Yeah, it was the best result any of us could ever imagine or desire that God would choose us as his children to be like him, to share a family. He chose to take care of us. He chose to protect us. He chose to love us. He chose to see us grow more and more in, into what he wanted us to be. And he made this choice, you know, with pleasure and joy. Uh, verse 5 informs us, God is not reluctant or begrudging in bestowing his grace to us. He does it with a heartfelt desire to love and bless uh, his children. And he chose us in him. He chose us to be children. Um, such an uplifting and winsome picture to me. Uh, let's continue on with the next phrase for us to kind of try to elucidate. Before the creation of the world. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. I think this brings us back to the um, idea of election or predestination. Right? Election is another term that's used. Uh, God chose us before we or the cosmos was even created. It sounds like it's a, 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 a reference to time, but I think it's beyond just being a temporal locator. It's more about, um, I believe, priority. Priority. God prioritized his relationship with us before anything else that he was concerned with. Yeah, before creating the world, before setting the laws in motion, before making any plans, right? he wanted to figure out, what am I going to do with these human beings? What am I going to do with uh, the people that are going to be created? And he chose, he decided to choose us in Christ, right? That's love, that's grace, that's amazing. Now, I know typically, uh, at least for me, anytime the word predestination comes up in the Bible, uh, I can get, I get kind of worked up. I get like, you know, my, my shoulders start getting tense because I'm trying to figure out what does this word, what does this doctrine uh, really mean? And I think we kind of uh, get bogged down eventually with the question of how come God has chosen some people or some individuals and, and rejected others, right? Those are the, it's kind of a binary choice there. Um, or, or we focus, am I chosen? Is Brother Ed chosen in his casual shirt or not? You know, we start wondering about these kinds of things. Is my grandmother or is my best friend? You know, we, we, we make it a personal or individual question, but in most interpreters will look at this chapter, at least chapter one of Ephesians and say, Paul is not talking about the predestination of certain individuals. Election here is primarily a corporate term, right? It's about the people of God, not necessarily an individual. Paul is talking about 
those, the gathering, the, the, the collection of uh, the elect, right? He's referring to Christians being able to consider themselves as such because of the purposeful, electing, sovereign purpose of God. So election can only be understood here in reference to Christ. It does not occur in a vacuum. It doesn't occur individually. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about election taking place through Christ and in Christ. You know, some scholars will go as far to say that uh, Jesus is actually the only one who is elected. He's the one that God predestined. And we are included in that when we find ourselves in Christ, right? Yeah. Our election comes about when we belong uh, to him, right? So the, the, the power and pervasiveness of that, of that term, in Christ, or in him, strikes again. But um, I actually wanted to avoid, mostly today, the theological niceties, and stick with the idea that priority, the priority of God's mind was what to do with us. And before God got down to the business of creating the world and establishing physical and spiritual laws, creating time, etc., God was occupied. He, was, he wanted to decide what to do with you and me. In other words, that's the most important thing in his heart. All the other stuff, he could work it out. He could change things. He can fix things later on. But the fundamental Right? The essential choice uh, of whom God would relate to and what he would do with the people that he would create, what he would do with you and me. Uh, these were the most important questions uh, to God. So I just want to make a quick application of that and, and, and turn it kind of around and say, this is true of us as well. It should be true of us as well. Right? If God put this much attention this much of his priority on what to do with us, then, you know, we should, right? It should be as incumbent upon us, as important to us, that the, similarly, the most important question in our lives is, how am I gonna relate to God? What place uh, should he have? Should he be just kind of a, a supplement, an add-on? Should he be uh, the person that I kind of uh, seek in times of need, but mostly I can take care of myself? Right? Or should he play a bigger role? Right? Should I give his word more credence than I do maybe you know my own tradition or my own education or my own experience or the words of society and friends. I think I would say the example of priority that God gives to us should at least reciprocate in us a prioritization of God. So before I get that dream job, before I earn the first million, before I get married, before I figure out everything about my retirement, what is my relationship with God really going to be? God's choice begets our choice. Will we put him first in our lives as he has put us first? 
Yeah. I think it's a crucial question because no matter how great um, we are in our own eyes or in the world's eyes, you know, the Bible, I think, is, is super clear. If uh, we don't have a relationship with God, then we amount to nothing. Right? It, it's a stark uh, assessment that the Bible gives to us, but I think it's the accurate one. And the, and the converse would be true, too, that even if by the world's standards we're, we're, we're messed up, we're destitute, we're full of moral and professional failure, if we are in a right relationship with God, then that's everything that's defining. Um, it's because of God's decisive act in choosing us that we have significance, power, life, and goodness. And I want, us, I want myself to be really impacted by this truth. The creator God has been busy preparing the way of salvation so that I might come to personally experience its richness. Of all the things, like I said, that can occupy God's mind and time, it is us. Yeah, kind of like a parent, like a parent who prepares everything, brings her child into the world, and commits lifelong to guide and love. You know, God is our heavenly parent, our heavenly uh, father, right? Yeah. yeah, praise him, right? That in his divine freedom, in his sovereignty, he has chosen to devote himself to us before the creation of the world, before anything else. He's done this. Finally, uh, let's talk about the last phrase to finish out verse four, that God chose us to be holy and blameless um, in his sight. Yeah, uh, I think this is really significant, right? It really is, um, it really kind of, um, tells us um, why the choice was made, to what end. Right? It wasn't just to give us security. It wasn't just to you know, bless us or to save us. It really was so that yeah, you and I, that we would uh, become holy and blameless uh, in God's sight. Yeah, in other words, that we would become like Christ himself. And that's a very tall order. Uh, the trouble is that we are very unholy. Right? So this is ends up being a huge obligation that God placed upon himself. I said choices have consequences, right? Yeah, I think the one of the consequences that are is the most uh, kind of stringent is that he chose us to be holy and blameless. There is um, a moral transformation, a spiritual transformation. It's not just about belonging, it's belonging in a certain way. And so, you know, Christian life, for all of its amazement, amazing aspects and all of, all of its brilliance and all of its security and all of its blessing, right? Uh, it, it, it has uh, a clear you know, spiritual direction. I think some people feel that, you know, oh, being in Christ, being chosen by him, it's a license to do whatever I want. There's certainly freedom, but it's a freedom to accomplish God's ultimate desire. That is that we become holy and blameless uh, in his sight. Um, yeah, how does he do that? Right? Our sins, both past and present, disqualify us from ever aspiring to this. 
we are sinful and full of guilt on our own. So God had to make a way. And of course, that's the message of the gospel, that through the cross of Christ, he made the way. He made a great way that we, if we take that way, if we choose that path, that we can be purified of our sin through the blood of Christ. Um, we can be holy and blameless, again, be, by a sovereign act of forgiveness. Uh, Paul uses the word lavished in verse 8 to describe what this consequence uh, entailed. God had to pour it on, pour out his grace, so to speak, just so that we could get to the point of baseline holiness. And just here's another uh, point to just marvel and just, you know, have nothing more to do than praise God in, in thanksgiving, just be overwhelmed by it. Uh, because, you know, we didn't contribute. We didn't, we weren't involved in becoming homely, holy and blameless, right? Uh, certainly our, not our righteousness um, in any way. In fact, the remedy that was formulated by God uh, was precipitated not by our righteousness, but our unrighteousness. Right? It was our sin, which God saw in us, that moved him to compassion. It was his loving kindness that caused him to work out this tremendous solution where Christ um, could atone uh, for us. These are independent of us. They don't uh, need confirmation, whether by feeling or by assurance. God did this. God did all of this right for us. The model of uh, salvation that applies to this making us holy and blameless is redemption. Redemption, right? We talk about adoption in terms of in him. Redemption is connected to uh, holy and blameless. And this word redemption is found in verse 7. Uh, generally, it refers to the idea of purchasing or buying back some item or person that would otherwise be lost or taken prisoner or destroyed. Right? So people were sometimes sold into debt slavery because of poverty. Um, they could be redeemed, bought back by a relative. So it was to uh, it was understood. Redemption was understood to signify release from bondage through the payment uh, of a price. Right? So Paul speaks of the forgiveness of sins. Right? We were in bondage to sin. Sin was our master. Our Destination was eternal separation from God, but he lavished his grace upon us. He paid the price. He bought us back. We were purchased with the blood of Christ. That's what redemption shows. That's what it took for God's initial choice of us to be in him. That choice that was made before the creation of the world that would uh, result in our being holy and blameless in his sight. It was a heavy price. It was um, it cost right, the, the life of Jesus uh, for us. But as Paul points out, God did it in love. He did it freely. And he did it in grace. So let me just finish with... Uh, um, just an illustration from literature. So 
you guys know I have like four or five books. I just keep going back and just, you know, it's kind of like doing the SAT. Just pick Lord of the Flies and The Giver, and you know you're gonna get a good score if you use that anyway. Uh, Pride and Prejudice right, uh, is a Jane Austen classic, and uh, if you remember um, at the end, right. Uh, after they go through all of the different misunderstandings and all of the, the stuff that's going on, uh, judging, judgment of character and stuff like that. Um, the, fam the family Bennett, and they go through a, a crisis because the youngest daughter has eloped with uh, a very disreputable man, Mr. Wickham. And um, it looks like it's going to bring ruin uh, to the family because Mr. Wickham owes a lot of money and so it, it just looks uh, like, uh, like a very terrible decision. I mean, very terrible situation, like everyone is distraught. Uh, but of course, Mr. Darcy right, loves Elizabeth. Uh, he's trying to win her heart and he finds out about the situation and he arranges to um, get Wickham and Lydia married and to pay off all of Wickham's debt, uh, to restore the Bennett family's honor, not take credit for it. So he redeemed, right? He redeemed the family by paying off uh, the debt. Right? And he didn't want anyone to know that he did. He had to stop wooing her. Uh, he had to be misunderstood. He accepted all those consequences because he loved Elizabeth. And it works out. You know, she finds out and they get married happily ever after, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a, a, a novel, that's a fiction, right? But uh, what we have in terms of reality, right, is God choosing us, choosing us in sovereign grace. And then him, he doing all of the steps, everything that was required to carry out the full ramifications of his choice, the full consequences. And here we are, right? Being able to, to pursue holiness and blamelessness and um, Christ-likeness. Uh, let's take some time to pray at this moment. Heavenly Father, we come before you just uh, hopefully uh, moved by the story of what you've done for us. Um, before we were aware of anything, certainly independent of anything that we've done, um, you chose us, you put us first in your heart, and then you worked out everything so that your blessed uh, purposes could be realized. Oh Lord, uh, we sometimes live our lives so oblivious uh, of what you've done. Uh, even in worship, we're thinking about ourselves and our plans and our choices. Help us to be governed, help us to be uh, controlled even by this amazing truth that Paul uh, helps us understand. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for all the wonderful consequences, uh, some that were painful, but in the end, 
that you uh, redeemed, that you made holy. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.